You're listening to the Devils, Angels and Dating Animation in Progress podcast. This is a collaborative project to make a CG short film, and you can find out more about us at devilsangelsanddating.com. With this podcast, I just wanted to uh, touch base on several different subjects, actually. First of it, which a quick update on the film's progress. Um, it's been a little while since we did a podcast, so uh, we've probably jumped quite a bit in progress since the last one. Uh, we're now over 60% animated, and we have passed, well past, I think it's about 63-64% total progress. Essentially, most of the assets are pretty much in the can, just a few little th- tweaks here and there to be done. Uh, I think we're about 85% through the, the layout and uh, working our way steadily on animation. In fact, that's one of the things I did recently was um, put together a chart to see how uh, things had progressed over the course of the last year. And uh, what was very interesting to see was that as assets sort of jumped up and down because we changed our mind about what things we did and didn't need, um, one of the most constant things has been animation ever since it started about a year ago now. Um, it's been a steady, constant flow of um, progress on animation. So that's good. Uh, one, another thing is that we've gotten quite a large video gallery and attracted over 300 members signed up showing interest in working on the project. Well, what's interesting actually about that is that of the 300 members, we've got uh, 200 uh, people who have introduced themselves. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Obviously, what we try to do is try to encourage people to introduce themselves to the rest of the team as part of their sign-up procedure. And when people don't introduce themselves, uh, we tend to only focus on the people who do introduce themselves. It's a little bit of a filter because essentially, I mean, 300 people sign up. Um, you can't possibly immediately start dealing with every single person that signs up because there's a different level of commitment from everybody. And so... Effectively, introducing yourself is part of the filter designed to um, see whether people are good communicators. For those people who might be listening who have signed up but not introduced themselves, if they're wondering why they haven't heard from us much yet, it's because uh, we don't know that you're a good communicator. So uh, please introduce yourself and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, Another thing, a big development in in the project actually since the last uh, podcast is um, that I actually kind of became full-time on the film. Essentially, I had a full-time job, and I was doing this uh, for the last two years part-time. Anyway, I've uh, switched to a freelance status, I suppose, and um, I started doing the film full-time for a while. I'm actually currently in L.A. working on uh, a commercial, a really, really cool project. That will pay the bills for a while, but um, presumably I shall be going back to working full-time on the film again uh, when this is finished in a couple of months. Um, but it's been, a, obviously, it's going to make a big difference to the project as we go forward, and um, I'll be able to put in a lot more time and focus a, a lot more on a lot, di- lot of different elements, because obviously one of the biggest things that you never get a chance to do when you're doing it these things part-time is it's tricky to find a big chunk of time where you can focus on something big and creative. And now that... Um, I have the opportunity to be full-time on it. I'm going to be able to move through it faster. Um, If nothing else, certainly I'll be able to actually do some more animation myself because that's one of those tasks that I tend to find I don't get done um, anywhere near as fast um, when I'm not able to work on it full-time. 
One of the subjects that I wanted to address for this podcast really was um, just bringing up some of the things that tend to be a little bit confusing, especially to new members. Things like limits on what software we use, what techniques we use, and why we use them. Because more often than not, when somebody first comes to the project, they will inevitably have a better idea of how they think they can achieve something um, with slightly different software or slightly different techniques. And in a lot of cases, they're completely right. Um, but what I thought I'd do is address the reasons why we actually limit people to certain things. Like, let's start off, for example, with um, most of the time I encourage people to use Maya 2009 for animating on the project. Now, aside from the fact that we actually have started the film on 2009 and therefore developed all our scripts and all procedures and everything like that with 2009 in mind, um, the other reason that we're trying to avoid people using newer versions of Maya is simply that they're not always as backwards compatible as we'd like. Uh, 2010 wasn't too bad. You, you could go into the file with the text editor, tweak it a bit, to roll it back to 2009, and theoretically, as long as you hadn't used any of the new tricks that come with 2010, it would have been fine. Um, but 2011 we're finding is a lot harder to um, make backwards compatible and it's far more work than it's worth doing really. So I try to encourage people to use 2009 and you might wonder well if I'm using if I've got 2011 at my end then it doesn't matter they can use whatever version they want but actually see one of the reasons that I'm trying to keep people all on the same software is that all of us can open those files and carry on working with them so essentially when somebody comes along and they say they won't work on 2009 and they'll only work on 2011 although it's possible that we can work that way and proceed with those with 2011 the problem is it means that there's going to be a significant amount of other team members who won't be able to work with that file afterwards and well you might think well that doesn't matter I mean as long as that team member finishes the job and uh, hands it over and I can open it in 2011 you'd think that that would be okay but here's the, the snack the big problem is that a very large and significant chunk of the people that start working on our project don't follow through and finish. And there's no way to know for sure when somebody first signs up whether they're going to be one of those uh, those significant number of people. So in many ways it make, just makes everybody feel a lot better if we're all working on things in at least a common software so that if somebody manages to get half the job done then I can at least reassign that task to somebody else and it's going to feel, make me feel a lot better about working with that person from the very beginning of the process. If I know from the very beginning though that they're using software that only maybe one-tenth of our team members have access to then that automatically means that pretty, there's a pretty good chance it's going to be very difficult for me to have that person's work be followed through by another team member and so automatically it makes me very doubtful that um, we'll be able to get any value out of working with that person and and so I hope hopefully that makes it easier for you to understand why we attempt to work in 2009 
um, increasingly I'm getting a lot more pressure to switch to 2011 because more and more people do not have a um, access to uh, older versions of Maya and it's probably going to have to go that way but if you have a choice then um, I, hopefully this explains why um, I'm trying to keep people in 2009. Aside from that I've just found that I actually animate in 2009 more often than not as well because it's I've just gotten used to it and uh, there are a lot of the scripts and things that we use that have been designed to work with 2009 and if I switch all my animation process over 2011 then I'm gonna have to make sure that all those scripts and things are working the same way again another thing that we do a little bit um, differently and sometimes people ask about this one is that we don't tend to give out all the textures to the animators when they first sign up and the reason for this is simply that it's very easy for somebody to sign up on this project, take receipts of all our assets, all our rigs and props and, and sets and things like that and just go off and do their own thing. And obviously we're trying not to let that happen and it hasn't happened yet that we know of, but we, in order to protect the film and our assets and all the hard work that everybody's put into it, the easiest thing for me to do is to limit what people have actual access to. So in a sense what I've been doing is giving people um, access to the, um, the the parts that they need as they go along and obviously at the longer that they are on the project the um, more that they earn trusts and they get access to more and more parts of the project. So one of the first and most obvious ways to protect things was simply to not let the animators all have textures when we first started because it was too easy to imagine that maybe somebody would just come along take our character rigs and stuff and and then never do anything else but they've already got all our assets at that point so uh, most of the time I don't tend to give the animators access to the textures until much further down the line when perhaps they've earned the trust for that besides in most cases uh, it's is all perfectly functional without the textures and um, people can do play blasts in grey mode and it all looks fine. Our rigs are even designed so that you can see the pupils even without the textures on the eyes. Recently we've actually been having some problems with uh, Dropbox which is our file sharing system. Now it's actually a really really fantastic tool and it for the most part has done as unbelievably well. I mean much much better than if we attempted to use an FTP site in the first place but ironically we've never lost any work through anybody um, screwing up on Dropbox but one thing that does seem to happen quite often is that people will upload large quantities of old files that we've already cleaned out. Now every now and again I go through all the files and I remove the ones that we don't need anymore or I, or I make backups and in this way I manage to keep the folders as small as they can be so that um, people are only downloading and sharing the, the smallest number of files possible over their internet connection. Of course what this means is that it actually takes a little bit of time weeding through those files figuring out what I do and I don't need. But then somehow or another, and I don't quite understand how this is happening, I think it's not even necessarily the uh, user's fault but um, say somebody loads up their computer and it hasn't been on for a very long time it seems to be that their accounts then start uploading files 
that aren't synchronizing properly with this and it just starts uploading files that have been previously deleted which really just shows up as suddenly um, there'll be a little pop-up box in the front of my window that says suddenly a hundred files have been uploaded and I can see who's uploaded those files um, and I can ask them to stop but in many cases they don't really know what they did so what I then have to do is spend time weeding through all of those files, trying to delete them. So the funny thing is I'm finding myself deleting the same files over and over again, and it's kind of frustrating. Um, in a perfect world, we'd find a solution for this. I think Dropbox might have uh, a new team-based sharing system that might be useful in the future, but it's a little bit late at this point, and it's also a little bit pricey. Anyway, we'll look into that in due time. Another thing is when um, a compositor signs up on the site, they frequently will, a very large number of the people who do compositing um, are After Effects users. And so a lot of them are fine with using After Effects, but a good number of them are also um, getting into things like Nuke, or they've used Shake before, or they use Digital Fusion. Now, I actually used to be a Digital Fusion compositor myself, but the funny thing about programs like that is that they tend to be a lot harder to learn, especially on your own, in isolation, away from other people who to, who are able to show you anything. Um, whereas After Effects seems to be so widely used by so many people at a sort of lower end of the scale that it's easy to find out basic things about After Effects. It's easier to find video tutorials to show you how to do all kinds of different things whereas other programs tend to be a considered a little bit more high-end and they're not as um, easy to learn about and so when I was choosing my compositing package even though I had less experience with After Effects myself I decided to go with After Effects because I knew that if I got stuck on something I'd be able to easily turn to any number of teammates and get a, a helping hand with things and so, essentially, I've just chosen it as our common compositing platform in order to get all the most basic things done. Some people frequently will ask if they can use Nuke or Shake or something like that. And I don't mind if they want to use that to create specific custom effects for particular shots. But then, ultimately, they, what they need to do is be able, make it possible for me to reproduce comp in After Effects which usually will just simply mean that they need to render out particular effects that they've done into a separate layer with alpha so that it can be used to put back into the comp in After Effects. Um, and that's really the only reason that we do that. Another thing that's coming up is lighters that want to use their own light rig instead of the one that we provide. Now, the trouble with this is, or basically we put a lot of time and effort into developing the master light lighting file, which has a kind of not only have those lights been designed to make the characters look good, but they've also been optimized for fast rendering times with our shaders. And so one of the things that I'm noticing is that when some of the other lighters get their hands on a scene and they add all kinds of custom stuff that they want to try. The first thing that immediately is noticeable is that when they start posting images, they don't look the same. So obviously, if you don't 
if you're not using the same lighting setup that's recommended in our lighting handbook then straight away you're going to have problems with it looking different and we can spend a month then trying to explain to you verbally how to change something to look more like the other shots. Fortunately as we go along we're getting more shots so you can start to see by looking at other shots what it's supposed to look like and I'm hoping that that will become easier as we go along but it doesn't reveal the fact that actually those render times are going through the roof. For example, I was uh, working with another lighter's um, scenes and doing his rendering for him um, because he didn't have a particularly powerful computer and I had a bit more power at my end. So we had a go at this, except the funny thing was, what I noticed was that his scenes, despite it being a very, very simple scene, were taking ten times longer than one of my scenes, which was of equal complexity. And all it really came down to was the fact that he'd added all kinds of custom lighting to the scene, uh, whereas the uh, scene that I'd worked with uh, was using the master lighting rig, uh, which had all been optimized. And so it's difficult to know where to draw the line really on that one, but what I'm trying to do is encourage the lighters to at least start with our custom, our pre-made lighting rig and follow the guide on how to set that up. There's, in fact, I might actually at some point try to do a bit of a run through of exactly um, how to do that verbally. But ultimately, the idea is to use the lighting rig um, and to keep those rendering times down and to have a consistent look. Obviously, as you go along, you'll have to add some custom lights and tweak things um, for different types of shots. But if you're at least using that as a starting point, then you know you're going to have reasonable rendering times and a and hopefully a consistent look. Anyway, um, I don't want to ramble on for too long. If you're interested in finding out more about the project, please go to devilsangelsanddating.com. And if you know of anybody who's interested in signing up on the project, we are actually currently looking for, particularly we're looking for lighters. We will be looking for compositors and effects people um, as we get more and more of the rendering done. Uh, we are still theoretically looking for animators, although um, we have quite a large number of animators already signed up um, and uh, we're starting to run out of easy shots to assign to people, so we're getting quite picky about who um, we're working with as far as animators are concerned. But um, if you're a generalist as well, then absolutely there's always tons of odd jobs to be done. So. Um, if, if you're listening to this and you're interested, please sign up. Otherwise, um, tell your friends about us. And um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Bye. Devil's Angel.